coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. There is still a ton of football left this season, guys, so turn football season into winning season by signing up for a brand new account at MyBookie.ag. New users can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on top of your first deposit with a playthrough, or if you want to avoid the playthrough, you can use promo code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus on your first deposit. So do it now. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and back with me today to react to Georgia's 37-20 win over Vanderbilt is my longtime coach, Curtis. And yes, I don't know if you guys have noticed, despite the three-score victory over Vandy, considering the opponent, this is one that has left a lot of fans shall we say, wanting more, and maybe you are one of those fans. In fact, there are more than a few people that I personally have interacted with in the past 24 hours that are highly concerned about yesterday's game and how that game played out, our performance in general. I would even go so far as to say there are some people freaking out right now about what they saw against Vandy and are really using that as evidence that this team just can't. They just can't win a national title. They've seen enough. This team just can't do it. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just the people that I've run across, you know, running a podcast like this and interacting with people on social media, going to all the games, living in Athens, knowing people in and around the town. I interact with a nice little cross-section of the Georgia fan base. I don't speak for every Georgia fan. I don't know every Georgia fan, but I do come across a lot of different people and I get a nice cross-section of opinions and a lot of people that I've interacted with, again, in the last 24 hours since this game went final, are concerned. But Curtis, what if I told you that I personally am not even the slightest bit concerned about Saturday's performance against Vanderbilt. What would you say to that? I would actually say, like, I understand it. Realistically, in the first half outside of just defensively, which is what what a lot of people are upset over. It was one blown coverage. That's what it was. Yeah, one blown coverage. You know, the defense, you know, bowed their necks, especially when the offense killed us in that first drive with a turnover. And then offensively, you know, a lot of people are freaking out maybe on the second half performance that we didn't really blow them away, but we went really into a conservative type attack. And we I, could so have I put more points up on the board late in that game, like a, like a lot of other teams do, running up exactly. scores. Kirby could have done that. on that last drive. We could punch another score just to make people happy and shut people up. But Kirby's not going to do that to Clark Lee. Let's just be real. Yeah, and also the fact is, I mean, um, when you look at some, the injuries and some of the things going down and the people that all of a sudden we were having the oh, you mean like the best player in college football? Yeah, and then you, you lose your back. You're already at using your backup right tackle. Lose him, so now you're at third string. Um, your freshman. second running back, who was playing well, goes down, and so you basically have one running back left the rest of the game. Exactly, so we kind of went into more of a uh, conservative approach like we were in the first couple games of the season. Yeah, and look, guys, if you are one of those people that is very concerned about the performances of Vanderbilt, I'm not here to tell you you're crazy. I'm just telling you personally, I'm not. I mean, that's what we're here on the show to do is be honest with you guys and give you our honest takes, our objective opinions. And I'm not concerned. Now, here's what I would say, though, Curtis. There were points where I was frustrated. I think that's fair. But to yeah, me, I mean, yeah, frustration I and concern are two separate things. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, I texted you after the game, and I, you know, it was clear in the fact that I was not concerned. I was just, you know, frustrated. Yeah, like when you have a a tip ball interception, the guy runs back to the one-yard line, that's frustrating. 
when you get exactly and then you know i mean you look at the way the offense has been this year when we went to more of that conservative approach carson is not the most confident quarterback but when we are more aggressive he isn't a confident quarterback and he has full control out there and so that was where my frustration was it was never concerns especially the fact that now i've seen that we can do it it's more frustration than it is concern yeah absolutely before the question was can we even do it Exactly. That, that that's the thing. Chris. early in the season, my whole my whole thing with this team was I kept telling you guys I don't know if, I don't think that we're the best team in the country right now because we had not seen proof of concept yet with this team. However, now we have started. We've seen that right, especially with that Kentucky performance. We have now seen what this team can be. Now, were we that on Saturday against Vanderbilt? No, like we we didn't play as cleanly as we did against Kentucky. Like we dominated this game, Curse. I have some numbers to back that up for you. We absolutely dominated this game. I think the final score is very misleading. We were never. This game is never in doubt. We were never threatened to lose this game. That was never a remote possibility whatsoever in this game, despite how some people might have felt. That was never in play. The final score, sure, there were some frustrating things that happened. You, know, you mentioned the fumble on the first drive. That's dumb. I mean, those kind of things. That that keeps the game, the margin, a little bit closer than really what it should have been based on how we dominated the game. But, Curtis, I mean, let me give you some numbers here to so back this up, okay? And people bear with me because I know I know we all love Georgia. I know we're all passionate about it, especially how the Braves are gone. It's like, it's all I got, right? We've got to win. So I understand why you might be concerned because it means a lot to you. It means, it means everything to me too, guys. Trust me, it does. But – I'm older now. I'm an old man these days. And so I've just, I've gotten more, it's, it's not a relax. I just, my perspective is a little bit different. It's like, I don't, if we don't blow a team out by 50, I don't lose my mind. Once upon a time, I probably did do that, Curtis. It's like, oh my God, we're not playing to our standard. Like, But now I'm like, okay, I, I there's context here. And here's some context, Curtis. Yes, the final score, 37-20, which by the way is a three-score lead, a three-score victory. But I know it's Vanderbilt, so everybody expects us to beat Vanderbilt by 50. I understand that when you beat Vanderbilt 62 nothing, 55 nothing in the past two years, you set the standard yourself and everyone holds you to this impossible standard. So that's kind of what happened here. But in this game, Curtis, we outgained Vanderbilt. 552 yards to 219 yards. That is a plus 333 yardage margin for the Georgia Bulldogs. That is the second highest yardage margin that we have had against an opponent this season. And no, guys, the other highest one didn't come against UT Martin. It didn't come against Ball State. It didn't even come against UAB. It came against Kentucky last week. We outgained Kentucky by 425 yards. Okay, so we outgained Vandy by a higher margin then any team has outgained the Vanderbilt Commodores all year long. I don't care if the scoring margins were greater for some other teams. Whatever. Maybe they played slightly cleaner and have those turnovers like we had given. Because we gave Vanderbilt 14 points, right, Curtis? Yeah, we did. Or I guess we gave well, – yeah, well, I guess they didn't no. score that yeah, we gave up seven because they – I would say we definitely gave up seven on the interception. Yeah. I would say the blown coverage is giving them points. Like they yeah, have to work I would, realistically, because that was a, a brain fart more than – or you know, a mistake more than it was anything else. Yeah, I mean that 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 was Tyke Smith who play, actually played really well for outside of that. I thought he did a really good job tackling the perimeter, had the interception right before half, which is huge. I know he did a really good job outside of that, but that was a blown coverage that gave them seven points. They did not have to earn that. That was us. That was not them doing something to us. That was us allowing them to do that. So in my book, the way I look at it, we gave them 14 points in this game. Okay, but. Back to my point here, some more context. So, yeah, we outgained Vandy 552-219, plus 333 March. And Florida, who we play next, only outgained them by 150 at home last week. I know people are like, well, maybe Florida can beat us now if we're, we're going to play like this. Guys, come on, context. Here's some more context. I never once look at final score margins. I get that. I understand. Michigan, you look at the final score, man, they just beat the hell out of Indiana, 
And yeah, they did. Of course they did. But guys, the yards margin was 407 to 232. What happened there is Indiana turned the ball over four times. Vanderbilt turned the ball over one time. Our guys said turn over twice, but they didn't turn the ball over four times instead of easy scores for us like Indiana did for Michigan. We dominated Vanderbilt down in and down out far more than Michigan dominated Indiana down in and down out yesterday, but the final score margin won't tell you that. Ohio State, similar concept. They beat uh, uh, Purdue 41-7, only outgained the Boilermakers uh, by 229 yards. Florida State dominated Syracuse by final score margin, right? 41-3, but outgained them by 274. All three of those teams, I think if you looked at final scores and you're like, man, like Georgia, why are we beating teams like that? We dominated Vanderbilt more than those teams did. We had a few stupid, frustrating mistakes that made the final score margin seem closer than it actually was. And here's another thing, Curtis. We ran the ball. Here's why I'm actually encouraged by a lot of things I saw coming out of this game. We ran for 100 yards more than our previous season high. We went for two full yards per rush more than our previous season high in this game against Vanderbilt. And by the way, that was last week. So we have our two highest uh, yards per rush performances of the year in back-to-back weeks. I think we might be finding something there. We'll get that in a little bit here. Curtis, we were 11 of 16 on third down. Almost 70% conversion rate on third downs. We out... We got uh, we uh, outdid Vandy 26 to nine on first downs. We held Vanderbilt to by far its lowest yards output of the season, 219 yards, which is 80 yards lower than their previous margin. Curtis, 552 yards to offense. I know it's only 37 points. Last year we scored 62, then we scored 55. I get that, but we only gained 552 or more yards nine times in Kirby Smart's first seven years in Athens, nine times in the first seven years. So it's not like we put up 550 on the regular curse. That's not something that we do all the time. We didn't do it one single time in 2021. We won the national championship and we did this half the game without Brock Bowers. And we did all of that in a rinky dink stadium, a literal construction zone. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about with tents set up outside as our locker room, quote unquote, we're coming off a big win over Kentucky with a bye week in Florida, big rivalry game looming next. We're still a and very also had bad. Team. You know, the wind was really bad in the stadium. They're showing it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I thought the freaking scoreboard was going to fall down, Curtis. I thought I was going to collapse and kill somebody. I mean, we, yeah. it was a literal construction zone. That's what we were playing in. And so, I to me, it's just context here, guys. And I know I'm on my soapbox here. It's just when I see people losing their minds. You know, one week after just patting this team on the back, saying, oh, my God, like, we're national champions now. And you, like, because you don't beat Vanny 55-0 now, like, I would, we have no chance. It's like, this team's just not any good. I mean, of course, I literally had people in the stands saying, this team's just not any good. I'm like, what? What what planet do we live on? I just yeah I've seen I've seen, I've seen I've seen two extremes of those and it's really annoying me that you know we're just not good and that we're not as good as the last two years. Okay, you can be not as good as the last two years and still be one of the top teams in the country ready to win it all. Which Wait, we you, are. Mean, you mean every year's independent of the previous years? Exactly, and I think that's the most that. one of the most asinine things I keep hearing is we're just not as good as the other two years. We can't win it all. You don't have to be that good. It's also relative. It's so yeah, you're exactly right. It's so asinine that's the right word man i like that it really is we don't have to be as good as the 2022 georgia football team or the 2021 georgia football team we don't have to be good as 2019 lsu we don't even have to be as good as ohio state was last year we just have to be better than everyone else in this season that's all that matters and what team are you looking out there in college ball right now that you can say is definitively better than we are this season I know people want to point at Michigan because they're 
dominating teams on the scoreboard right now. I guess ultimately, again, scoring is what matters. But Michigan, if you look at their total yardage margin, okay, guys, you guys know if you've been listening for a long time, you know I'm big on this. If you're new to the show, what I mean by yardage margin or yardage differential, it's a pretty simple concept. You take the total yards a team has gained, and you subtract from that the total yards that they have surrendered. And I believe that gives you a really good insight into how good a team is. How much are they dominating their opponents is basically what it's telling you. From a down-to-down basis, how much better is a team than its opponents? And right now, guys, among all those teams that you would put up there in that conversation and say that, oh yeah, they're better than Georgia, we still have a higher yardage margin than every single one of those teams. Right now, we are plus 1730 in the year, which means we have outgained our opponents by 1,730 yards. Michigan, really good football team. Michigan is awesome. They're certainly in the conversation. If you want to say they're better than us, I'll entertain the conversation. I don't think you can say it's definitive though. Right now, they are plus 1260. And I know a lot of people would want to point at our schedule and say, well, Georgia hasn't played anybody. Who the hell has Michigan played? In fact, I would argue their schedule has been weaker than ours. But no one wants to talk about that. It's just Georgia has the terrible schedule. Ohio State, plus 1070. Penn State. Now, Penn State has got a good yardage margin here. They haven't really played much anybody. They did beat West Virginia, who's a solid team. But Penn State's plus 1400. They're actually statistically, according to yardage margin, better than Michigan. We'll see how that plays out here in a couple of weeks. Florida State, right? Everyone's darling. Beat LSU. Beat Clemson, right? Plus 520, not even in the same stratosphere. Washington, who's had a big win against Oregon, plus 900. Now, they did play Oregon. That's a tougher opponent than anyone we've played. I'll grant them that, plus 900. Oklahoma, big win over Texas, right? Plus 920. Alabama, the vaunted Crimson Tide, right? Plus 535, not even in the same stratosphere. Now, Alabama, to be certainly fair to them, they have played a more difficult schedule than we have to this point. The longer you go in a season, I think the more accurate these numbers are because you have played more teams. You're out of your non-conference league, right? You're getting more into your conference schedule. So Bama, yeah, they played Texas and they played at Texas A&M. Although, I mean, God, what is A&M right now with, with Max Johnson back there? But even without those games, guys, I mean, that doesn't compensate for a 1,200-yard gap between us and Bama in terms of our yardage margin. So yeah, again, all that matters is, are we better than all those teams? Are we? And who can you say right now is definitely better than we are? Someone might prove that they are eventually. But right now, can you say, oh yeah, they're hands down better than Georgia? And if you're based on off the Vanderbilt game, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, Florida State almost lost to Boston College, right? Michigan had a game against Bowling Green where they won 31-6 but outgained the Falcons 312 to 205 yards. Does that mean Michigan can't win the national title? Because don't we have to apply the same logic that people are applying to our team, to other teams as well? Or that's not how this works, right? Oklahoma beat Cincinnati 20-6. Outgained the Bearcats by 50 yards. I don't know if you guys have watched Cincinnati this year. They're not good. Penn State was tied at the half with Northwestern. They didn't separate from the Wildcats by more than a touchdown until midway through the third quarter. They poured on some late touchdowns in garbage time just to run the score up a little bit to make it look a little better. But they struggled against Northwestern in that game. All I'm saying, guys, is to be very careful about drawing definitive conclusions about a team based off one performance and they can't win national title. Because if you do that, you're going to disqualify every team in the country this year from winning the national title. Because there's not one team out there that hasn't had somewhat of a performance like that. Saturday reminded me of the stupid Dr. Pepper commercial where these fans were burning their stuff and having it. And then the sheriff's like, that was the first play of the game, guys. And like right now, that's how Georgia fans are acting. Like, they're ready to burn it and give up on the season. It's like... Well done. Yeah. Well done. Well done. And look, I mean, it's a, it's a lot like after the Auburn game, right? Yeah. But at that point, like, we didn't necessarily have proof of concept yet, right? And now you may, maybe maybe you put, want to call 
Now, we did say that the Kentucky performance was the was the anomalous performance at this point. Maybe that's just going to be the anomalous performance all year. I don't know. Yeah, but here's we'll the thing. This team all, can do. But here, the biggest difference is, and I know they're not as good, but I, all right, Vanderbilt has a better offense people give them credit for. But the fact was we dominated that game more or less start to finish. We didn't have yes. that against Auburn. We didn't have that against South Carolina. There was there was a lot of time where we were behind. Yeah, we, we were cursed. Like, we were literally uh, easily could have lost that game to Auburn. There was no point in this game as Vanderbilt that was a remote possibility. We could have lost to South Carolina at home. Yeah, absolutely. But at no point in this game was that ever in the cards. Never. No, exactly. Never, never. And look, guys, like, I understand, okay, people being upset about this performance. I, I get why people are frustrated. I understand. Like, I don't like, – people can think and feel however they want to feel. I'm not here to tell anyone how to feel. I'm just telling you how I feel. But I, I feel like if you're upset about this performance, I think that's just a function of these just – like you said, I mean, it's, it's absurdly unrealistic expectations. Look, I'd rather our expectations be crazy because we're that good than just have no expectations. Expectations can be a good thing, but there's a threshold curve. When you cross that threshold, it's like, guys, come on. Like, like I, I know that we have set this standard, but now I feel like in some ways, curves, we're being held like, like not just national and championship standard. I feel like some of our, some people in our families are holding us to this like national championship game against TCU standard. Like if we don't beat teams the way we beat TCU national championship, it's like, well, oh my God, we're just, we're not any good. And it's like, I don't know, you know, it's like when you do that, you get the feeling people expect you to do that every time. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And I, and I get, look at Vandy. I understand like, well, we should definitely do it to Vandy. Right. And it's like, okay. Yeah. I, I, I know Vandy's not very good, but that also comes with its own set of context when you're on the road again, playing in a literal construction zone where it doesn't feel like a real game. Like guys, if, I mean, just, I'm telling you, it doesn't feel, it didn't feel like a real game out there. So it's just, there's context guys. There's context there. And look, I understand points are ultimately what matters because that's how you win games. And yes, I admit it's like everything else is just a means to that end of scoring points. But I also believe scoring margins can very often be misleading. I mean, to me, as long as we are winning games comfortably, I am personally far more concerned about the other indicators that tell me how much we are controlling games. Because to me, that's what's transferable to the future. That's what translates moving forward to the rest of the games down our down the rest of our slate. So that that's where I am right now. Like I, I understand frustration. Yes, I get frustration in that game. I was frustrated at points, but I think that's a separate thing than being concerned about the ultimate, I guess, ceiling of this team and what this team can ultimately do. So I don't know. I know I got kind of got my soapbox there. I apologize, but I don't know. This one just got me fired up. Just hearing some people talk about what they think about this team after that performance. I'm like, guys, come on, come on, come on. All right, guys, so there's the big picture look at this game, but we're going to get into the specifics, the offense, the defense here in just a moment. But first, let me remind you guys once again about our great friends at MyBookie. When your money is at stake, when it's your money that you're putting on the line, you want to make sure you guys are using a sports book that you can trust. And there's nobody more reputable out there than my bookie. And my bookie doesn't matter, guys. The team you're betting on, if they're winning, they're losing, you can cash out early with their new cash out early option. You can also do some live betting to make sure you come out on the winning side. So use my book today, guys. You got daily odds boosts, same game parlays, huge prize pool contest, and they also have a new no strings attached cash bonus that lets you. You deposit and withdraw that money quick. Just use the promo code 200 cash on your first deposit and receive up to $200 in cash. Again, that's promo code 200 cash to claim that 10% cash bonus. Now, if you want to use our exclusive promo code UGA, you can still do that for a 50% bonus 
up to $1,000. That does come with a playthrough, but that's a great deal that you can also take advantage of. Just make sure you're going to pick whatever works best for you. So make sure, guys, jump in on the action at MyBookie today. Don't wait any longer. Try the MyBookie money bag while you're at it. You can grab a, a, a Super Bowl front runner at crazy, insane long shot odds, plus 38000 on the Eagles or Chiefs. Why not give it a shot, right? You won't find odds like that anywhere else. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, Curtis, let's move in to the offense here. Let's talk about this Georgia offense. I do not want to bury the lead any longer. For some of the offense, we have got to lead with Brock Bowers going down with an apparent left ankle injury, Curtis, in the second quarter. I know we don't have any definitive word. Kirby Smart is going to have a press conference, a previously scheduled press conference. So it's not just for Brock's, a previously scheduled press conference on Tuesday. We don't have a game this week, obviously, so we don't have the normal Monday press conference, but he will have one on Tuesday. I'm sure we, at the very least we will know something by then. He will address it then. I'm hopeful that we'll hear something prior to that. But right now we don't have any definitive word. We, well, I guess we do know that's not broken. The x-rays were negative. He did reveal that in the post-game press conference. But, Curtis, how much – if Brock Bowers is out, let's say – if it's a high ankle sprain, which knock on wood, let's hope to God it's not. Chris, I mean, I know he's a bionic man, but if it's a high ankle sprain, I mean, Marius Mims is still out with a high ankle sprain. Okay. I mean, I know he had the, he had the tightrope surgery. Roger Robertson is still out with a high ankle sprain. If it's a high ankle sprain, Curtis, he could feasibly miss the vast majority of the rest of the regular season. I, I don't want to operate on like that's what's happening here, but if Brock has to miss extended games, how much does that hurt this offense? It does hurt the offense. I think that realistically, though, from what I've seen, we have a lot of playmakers out there. So not saying that we're going to be able to replicate it to the level, but I think that we still have enough weapons that you can still spread the ball around. I think we may have to rethink the theory because I know right now we kind of it feels like we have a two two type system where it's either Brock is targeted or we use Brock to open it up for other people where we kind of have to rethink that theory. But I still think that we could be a successful offense. With the weapons we have, especially on the outside, just love it and raw, raw and people like that, and even Lad get back in there. But especially in the run game, I think it's gonna hurt a lot because Delp and um, Lucky, realistically, are not the same blockers that Brock is. No, I mean, and Brock is—he is not Darnell Washington. We have to understand that. But I also think that Brock is a much better blocker than people give him credit for. I hear people talk about how he's how he's really just a big wide receiver. I mean, no, 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 no. Yeah, he has wide receiver skills, but this guy is a, a legitimately good tight end blocker. He does a very good job at that. How much 12 personnel do we run if Rocky misses games, Curtis? Or do I, I, don't more... think we're, I don't think we're going to run as much. I think that's when we're going to commit to the spread attack. Yeah, because like, if, if we run if, – if I don't imagine – I'm with you. I don't think we're going to run as much 12 personnel because if we do, what we're basically saying is we think that Lawson Lucky is better than, uh, I don't know, Dominic Lovett, right, or Lad McConkey, whoever that third receiver is going to be. And I don't know if that's the case right now. Maybe in the future, I don't know if that's the case right now. But it does pose the question. You, you talked about how we're going to have to find different ways – to score points, move the ball, and construct our offense. A big part of what we do, at least 50% of the time, I don't have the numbers right here in front of me, but in the past couple of years, it's been over 50% of the time, we are in 12 personnel. And that's a big part of what we do in terms of creating matchups, in terms of running the football. Does it? How much does it concern you that we're going to have to midseason potentially not just find a way to replace Brock Bowers in, in his production, but also figure out a way to in, probably in some ways, re, not, I don't want to say rethink our identity, but certainly adjust our identity offensively. Makes me uh, very thankful that we're at a bye week right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, you hope that that's especially long term is not the situation. You know, a lot of people, you know, Kirby said it was a low ankle sprain. We'll see if it was or, you know, what it ultimately is. And if it is a low ankle sprain, he could easily be back in Florida. Yeah, easily. Yeah. But I, I mean, I would love for him to be held out till at least Missouri. Um, 
But yeah. then again, we kind of just have to wait and see. But overall, hey man, you can't um, say rivalry games are granted. Exactly, you can't. But overall, I think that having bye week is huge, gives us a little bit of time to kind of reassess things. But I think that you, the fact is, matchup wise, it's going to hurt. But I still think the weapons we have, yes, we have to rethink how we want to use them. But the fact is, it's is a lot different than where we were when we were in Jake Fromm's year, where when Lawrence Cager went down. It wasn't, well, we can't really rethink this offense because we have who we have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a different situation. We are a far better situation offensively, skill-wise, skill-talent-wise, than we were back in 2019. You're exactly right. I mean, we had Lawrence Cager and a, a very young George Pickens who could run about two different routes back then. He was really talented those two routes, but that's about all I could do. This is a different scenario. We have a lot of talented players. In fact, I feel like in some cases, like you have to feed Brock because you have to feed the Beast. The Beast is incredible. He's the best player in college football. So I get that. But I think in some ways when you have Brock out there, there are other guys who I think could be featured players or just about any other team in the SEC that aren't being featured, right? Yeah. Like I mean, you, saw love, you saw Love It get a lot more targets, it felt like, um, when we were still aggressive after Brock went out. Yeah, yeah. Funny how that happens, right, when Brock's yeah. not there? And look, I mean, look, again, Brock, when he's in the game, you've got to get Brock involved because he's the best player in college football. He's the best player in our team. He's the best tight end, maybe the best tight end in the history of college football. He is that guy. He is that good. But I, it's not so much – can we – look, we're never – I'm not going to say any offense is going to be better without Brock Bowers. That is not the case. We are – I have a hard time saying that we're going to be just as good offensively without Brock Bowers. He's that good. But I also don't think it has to be a dramatic drop-off. I really do not believe it has to be. Like you mentioned, especially if Lab McConkie can continue to come back and get healthier and just – maybe the, the backer just – it tightens up on him, man. That's, that's ultimately what happens. So if, if he can just get – I mean, I think you're right, the bye week. Certainly coming at a, at a very, very advantageous time for us right now. So maybe that helps him. Maybe it helps Kendall. But all is not lost. I mean, here I'm going to read this from – this is – all right. So I love my dad dearly. He, knows, he taught me everything I know about football. But he texted me right after Brock went down. He says, looks bad. If he goes down, season goals are done. What do you say to that, Curtis? The man makes Larry Munson seem optimistic. Yes, I know. Yes, yes. Like – does it hurt our season goals? I can't sit here and tell you the straight face. It doesn't hurt to some degree. It's just Brock Bowers, but it's over. Let's just throw in the towel. I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, we have one of the most talented rosters in college football. So we talk about all the time, how the, all this depth that we have, right? How that gives us an edge over all these different teams. Well, if if that if we can say that on one hand, but now when guys go down, we say, oh, the season's over, then what, what are we talking about? We're talking about the depth. You know what I, you know what I mean? It's yeah. I know that Brock is really good. He's in, not that's not even an accurate statement. Brock is incredibly good. That's what Brock Bowers is. But I think that we have the guys that can certainly compensate to a degree for the loss of Brock Bowers. And I'm talking about just Titus. And by the way, Curtis, let's not forget Oscar Delp was the a former number one overall tight end in the country a couple years ago. Let's not forget that. Now, is he Brock Bowers? No, he is not Brock Bowers. But Oscar is a very talented receiver of the football. He just does not get as many opportunities when Brock is in the game because Brock is in the game. And we're basically right now, since we have Brock out there, we're essentially trying to use Oscar Delp as Darnell Washington, more or less. And I've said all along, all year long, I give a lot of props to Oscar for doing that and working as hard as he has to get better at blocking and basically trying to be Darnell Washington. That's not his skill set. That is not what makes Oscar Delp 
talented. That's not what makes him unique. That's not what made him the number one tight end in the country coming to high school. What makes him special, potentially, what made him the number one tight end coming out of the country was his ability catching the football. He does not get as many opportunities to do that when Brock is in the game. But when he has got opportunities, he's looked pretty good doing it, has he not, Curtis? He has, yeah. And now he will get more of those opportunities. So I don't think all is lost. I don't think it helps us. It certainly hurts us, if anything, but I don't think it means the season is lost. It doesn't mean this offense is going to fall off the face of the earth. This offense is really starting to find its stride right now. The one thing I am concerned about, as we were talking about, is what does it look like from a personnel standpoint? Are we going to go more 13 personnel? I'm sorry, not 13 personnel. Are we going to go more 11 personnel? Or are we going to stick with the 12 personnel? Do we have that kind of faith in loss and lucky? I don't think that's going to be the case. But I also don't think we're just going to abandon 12 personnel because too much of our offensive identity, too much of what we want to do in the run game is tied into that. So I, I think you, you can see a drop off in 12 personnel. Some maybe you, you know, maybe we see a, a five to 10% drop in, in the usage of 12 personnel. But I don't think it's going it's not going out the window, Curtis. I mean, we, I know Lawson Lucky's young as a play ton, but he's also another really highly rated tight end. So it'll be interesting to watch. If there's anything concerning me coming out of that game, it is that, though. Like, what are we going to do offensively when you lose a guy like Brock Bowers? How does that adjust what we're going to do schematically on the offensive side of the ball? All right, Curtis, let's move on a little bit here offensively. Let's talk about Carson Beck. The numbers were solid. 29 of 39, 261, 6.7 per, uh, 6 yards per attempt, over 70% completion percentage, one touchdown, one tip ball interception. What did you make of his performance overall? It was solid. You know, he had the one missed throw in the first half over for Marcus, which really hurt. Um, but overall, he was pretty solid, except in the second yeah, half. Yeah, well, I think he had two missed touchdowns. I think he had that one, and there was a ball uh, in the red zone. We had to sell for a field goal to love it, and I think that was a touchdown. Okay, that's fair. But in the second half, you know, I kind of saw him not be as confident and sure of where to go with the ball. And it was kind of just appeared to me to go hand in hand with the offensive philosophy changing a little bit. So um, I think that was the big thing. I think he was solid. Um, you know, I actually want to give him a shout out. The fact, you know, the pick happens. Most quarterbacks are letting the guy goes and he goes and lays it all out on and tries to, you know, give everything he can to stop the guy from scoring. Um, so I want to give him a shout out for that. Though. And latest by the line, dude. I mean, yeah. Woo. I mean, put, I mean, yeah, it wasn't just to try to shove him out of bounds. No, he he went he all launched his body. He like turned his back, contorted his body. Uh, and hey, look, man, I know they end up scoring there, but I don't know how many times I've seen this year. It's it's I've never seen it so many times in my life in one season where a team's like on the one yard line or it's like fourth and one and have a false start. And now it's like first or now it's third and goal from the six. And that could I mean, it doesn't always happen that way, but it could. So you 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 got to give your team a chance, and he gave his team a chance. So I, I I'm with you. There. Props to Carson on that. If I told you I think that this was his worst performance of the season, what would you say to that? I could say I, – I think I could see it. He was a little more – I don't – He wasn't as on uh, accurate-wise this game. Yeah, I don't know if it was his worst performance. I'm not going to say that definitively. I, I I think you can make an argument that it that it could be in the conversation. Because here's the thing. Carson hasn't been bad any game this year. Like he's been really good all year long. Now, has he gotten better as the season's progressed? Of course, naturally he has since this is his first year as a starter. I don't think he's been bad. I don't think he was bad on Saturday. I thought he was good on Saturday. However, the past couple weeks, like I would say Carson, maybe second half of Auburn and last week, Carson has been unbelievable. I think UAB, he was really, really good in that game as well. And the second half of South Carolina was awesome in that game. So, or at least in that half of that, of that game. So, Carson has been good at all points this season. Never has he been bad, in, in my opinion. But I think you can make an argument maybe that was maybe his least clean performance. I know he – and it's great to be able to say, hey, that might have been his worst performance this season. The guy only threw one interception. That interception was a tip ball. But there were, in my opinion, at least two touchdowns that were there that should have been touchdowns. 
And that's fine against Vanderbilt. Is that going to be fine against Ole Miss, against Missouri? I I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully that that doesn't happen again. But you got to hit those balls. He knows that. He has missed a couple of deep balls like that this year. So hopefully – he's been largely extraordinarily accurate. Again, I go back to expectations. No quarterback hits 100% of their throws. And sometimes I feel like – I know I hold hold our quarterbacks to that sometimes I feel like and other people do. But I do think he was still – he was good. He was solid in control. We didn't push the ball down the field much. We, we, we went heavy RPO game, trying to get the ball in the playmaker's hands, and he was effective doing that. But we've seen better performances from Carson Beck, and I think that we will see better performances moving to the future. All right, let's move to the ground game here real quick, Curtis. Man, what a, what a performance on the ground. 291 yards rushing, 7.5 yards per attempt, both high watermarks of the season for this team on the ground. And we did that with another starting offensive lineman going out in the first half in Xavier Trust. That means we had a true freshman in Monroe Freeling coming in to play right tackle. It means we had a true freshman at one tackle and a redshirt freshman at the other tackle. And we still put up 291 yards rushing. So, Curtis, I, I got to ask you, man, was this just Vandy? Or are we on to something with our running game? I think, well, Vandy, yes. But I do think we were starting to find some, well, really, the path game we we're using it to open up the run game and I think that's really what has been happening especially these last two games um I think our, our RPO game is really helping out the run game it is teams are not able to stack the box like they were at the beginning of the year yeah and when that they do that's fine we just, we just pull and throw it yeah yeah we just pull that's and throw one it of the biggest differences um now we're seeing a lot more even fronts which is allowing us because before it felt like even if our running backs made one guy miss they weren't going to make the next guy miss because it was just so crowded down there yeah i think what we're seeing now is that we are seeing we are we are seeing fewer stack boxes first but what's happening is when they do load the box like that we're just pulling a throw on the rpos we're tagging basically every single run it seems like or most runs and so when we run the football we're only handing the ball off when it is even numbers in the box, when we have the advantage there. So that's helping our run game more. In the past in, in past years, Curtis, and I'm not saying we haven't run RPOs. We, we did under Munkin, a fair amount of them. But I feel like far too often we were just going to run the ball into heavy boxes no matter what. That's not happening this year with Mike Bobo. That's one of the big changes I've seen with this offense is that we are tagging almost all of our runs. I can't sit here and tell you it's all the runs. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know what the actual calls are. But from the looks of things, if you watch it closely, it looks like every single run or most runs are tagged with an RPO. And so if the read is correct, we're only hanging the ball off in those favorable number of situations where they're not stacking the box. So I think that's helped our run game, in the, especially the past couple weeks. First. I mean, I, I think we're on to something here, man. If you look at the, the past two games, Kentucky was a really good rush team. It's number two rush team in the league coming to that game. We went for 173, 5.6 yards per carry. That was our previous uh, yards per carry high in, in a single game this season. And Vandy, 291, 7.5. That was 100 yards more than our previous season high in rushing yards, which is South Carolina. We put up for 190 in that game. So I feel like we're starting to get somewhere on the ground. And look, I know, guys, I told you coming this week, Vandy is not good line of scrimmage. That's why I felt very confident we are going to dominate this game. And we should have. We should have won this game by a higher scoring margin, but we did dominate the game, you know, on a down to down basis. You know, just a couple of dumb mistakes here or there. So Vandy is very bad in line of scrimmage. So you do have to factor that into this, but this is not a one game situation. It's like we've been struggling to run the football lately. We've done a much better job of running the football, and this was just another example of that in this game. So I'm feeling a lot better about the ground game than I was, you know, week two, week three. I was kind of freaking out. I think we're starting to kind of get into rhythm there again attaching the rpos 
to most of our runs is certainly helping. And Dejan Edwards, we'll get to him in a little bit, man. Dejan Edwards just just playing unbelievably good football for us. What a tough little dude, man. I'm just so thankful that guy's on our team. It's hard, you know. Think back about two or three years ago. Would you ever would you have ever said, Curse Dejan Edwards would have been the guy that he's developed into now? Oh no, absolutely not. Zero chance. Yeah, I always felt that he could be a contributor, but I'm not gonna sit here and tell you with a straight face. I thought he could be this, and I I did not. So man, just. That's that's Colquitt County, man. The South Georgia boy just getting it done, going to work, not talking, just letting his his game do the talking for him. All right, Kurt, you mentioned Dominic Love. Before we get to the defense here, I want to mention him real quick. Obviously, we brought Bowers going out. His emergence in the second half of that game against Vanderbilt could be a sign of very positive things to come. Nine catches, only 72 yards, uh, but did notch his first touchdown as a Georgia Bulldog, which is kind of crazy to think at this point, Curtis. But how important is it to get a guy like Dominic Love going here moving into the back half of the schedule? Um, this could be huge because he is a guy that has big yards after catch uh, capability. Absolutely. And we use him heavily in the RPO game because he's a guy that you want to get in space and make guys miss. And he's done a fairly good job of that. He hasn't gotten loose. And I still don't know if I would say he got loose against Vanderbilt. I think he got closer to that and made more of an impact than he had in any other single game. But I think with Brock going down, if he has to miss games, hopefully he does not have to miss any games. But if he does in that possibility, I think Dominic Lovett takes on a bigger role in this offense. and I think he's going to be equipped to do that. I still want to see us run some slot fades with Dominic Lovett. I mean, he killed people at Missouri with the slot fade. And I've only seen, I mean, a handful of even, not even a handful, maybe a one or two actual slot fade attempts with this guy. And I think that's a play that he runs exceptionally well. So I would love to see Mike Bobo get him involved in that game more than just the RPO game right now, because I think he can certainly help us in that regard. But getting a guy like that going who has the ability to be explosive, he has not been explosive yet for us this year, but he has that ability. He's, it's it's going to happen, Curse. He's going to break out. I think we, got, we saw him get closer to that against Vanderbilt. Again, I would not call that a breakout for him. I guess relative to the rest of the season kind of was. But I, I, this guy has like, you know, 10 catch, 150 yard potential. Like he can be that kind of guy. And uh, with Brock going out, he might develop. We might use him in a way that will allow him to become that guy again. We'll have to watch that moving forward. All right, guys, we're going to flip things over to the defense side of the ball here in just a moment. Quickly, though, I want to remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, the weather is a-changing. It was a nice, crisp fall afternoon, a little breezy in Nashville over the weekend. And looking at their weather report here in Athens over the next couple of weeks, looking at even Jacksonville here in a couple of weekends, it looks like fall is here, and that means you guys need to get your cold weather gear for the stretch run in Alumni Hall, guys, they've got a ton of options for you. they got a bunch of new fleeces that are in stock, some quarter zips, some jackets that are in. I have a problem. I am a uh, collector of jackets. My wife uh, reminds me of that often that I do have a problem, and uh, a lot of those are Georgia jackets, and I just got a nice new bomber jacket a couple of weeks ago from Alumni Hall. I cannot wait to pull that thing out. It's been a little warm, but it's getting there. It's getting there. So make sure, guys, if you're looking for that cold weather gear, if you're going to be in town for the Missouri game, if you're going to be in town for the the Ole Miss game. If you're gonna be in Knoxville in mid-November. Heck, if you're gonna be in Jacksonville, again, it looks kind of kind of chilly in Jacksonville in here in a couple weekends. You want to make sure that you guys are ready to go. And Alumni Hall is the place to go. They got you guys covered because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, Kurt. Let's move things over to the defensive side of the ball here. I'm just gonna ask you simply here, man. 20 points allowed in this game. Yes, but 219 total yards. What did you make of this overall defensive performance? It was solid. It was a little disappointing to see our lack of pressure that we were able to create on the quarterback. But people have to also remember one that this sack, game, right? 
Yeah, this Vanderbilt team, though, is actually a more improved offensive team, especially, you know, they have a couple guys, uh, a couple playmakers out there on the outside that they can use to get things going. Will Shepard's um, top five in the league in receiving coming to the game. Exactly. Um, and then we saw we had some busted coverages. So it was like a it was a hot and cold types game. It's really hard for me to kill the defense. And they gave up 219 yards, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, it, it was hard. To, I mean, it really is. It's just the fact that they scored that people are so mad about. Yeah, again, context. I mean, I know I, I know. at the end of the day, as I keep saying, points technically are what matters. Everything else is a means to an end. But the defense gave it really one drive. And, yes, I know the blown coverage counts. That counts. You can't do that. That's stupid. You can't do that. On a down-to-down basis, Vanderbilt was not able to move the football outside of one drive to open the second half. That was unacceptable. I did not, I did not like to see that. 13-play, 75-yard drive. Vanderbilt sh- should never be able to put a drive like that together against Georgia. Did not like that. But that was the exception. The rest of the game, Curtis, they weren't doing anything to move the football at all. Nine total first downs, Curtis. Nine total first downs. And, I mean, look, uh, here's here's a number for you here, Curtis. I think this defense is getting better. We are not there yet. A guy like Tyke Smith, a veteran like that, cannot have a situation where else is playing zone and he's playing man coverage and we give up a long touchdown to Vanderbilt. That just can't happen. But we are getting better defensively. In our three games against UT Martin, Ball State, and UAB, the three little sisters of the poor that we played this season, right? All those fun games we got to play. We gave up 48 first downs, Curtis, in those three games. Again, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, 48 first downs. In our last three games, Curtis, against all SEC opponents, Auburn, Kentucky, Bandy, we've given up a total of 37 first downs. So this team is getting better, and we're doing it against better competition. I know Vandy sucks. I get that. I know Auburn's offense, they can't complete a four-pass. I understand that. But they're still better than UT Martin. They're still better than Ball State, okay? So this defense is getting better. We are not there yet. I am with you. I still want to – my big frustration with defense remains now, what, three, four years running. We still don't rush the passer well naturally. We have to scheme it up. And against better teams, I can throw the football. That does hurt us. Now, do we have a team like that on our schedule? Missouri's pretty good throwing the football. That could be a tough one. So that that is a concern for me. That's not, but that's not like isolated to this game. That's been a, a trend for a couple of years now. So I, I'm with you on that. That's still a concern for me. But I do think if we get got when we get teams a third down, like that's the key for us is being really good on first and second down, getting teams a third and long. Because then you can bring in a guy like Jalen Walker. I think he's doing an incredibly good job rushing the passer right now. That guy is a dynamic pass rusher. He really is. Now, he's not a natural edge rusher. Uh, he plays inside linebacker. We use him as an edge rusher more or less in third down. I think Xavier Sawyer does some really good things. So the key for us is just being really good on first and second down, getting those teams a third down. When we do that, we rush the passer really well. Okay, a lot of havoc. But standard downs, we don't rush the passer as well. Hey, did you notice Marvin Jones Jr. early in that I game? He, he played quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, I think more than I – and I don't have – I'm trying to do the snap count later t- tonight, but I don't have the snap count right now coming back from the game. But I feel like just naked eye, I watched, I obviously watched it live and watched it coming back home on my phone, but I feel like he played more snaps than he has in any SEC game in his career, right? Uh, I think there's no question it was. Yeah, I mean, it certainly felt that way. Had a nice tackle for loss, did some good things. He moves well out there, man. So getting out like that, more experience in, in an SEC game, if that's going to be something that we're going to see more of in the future, I think that could certainly help us out because he has more pass rush ability than a guy like Chaz Chambliss does. So maybe if he gets more standard down work, then that could help us there because I think he has that potential. He just hasn't been on the field enough to really make that much of an impact. So I don't know. That, that's that's kind of promising. We'll see there. But I do think this team is, is getting better, Curse. We have now held – the last two opponents, we have held them to our lowest yardage margins, or lowest yardage totals, I should say, 
of the season. You look at it, Curtis, we held Kentucky to uh, we held Kentucky to 183 total yards, held Vandy to 219. This again, two lowest yardage totals that we have allowed all season long, back to back games. So I think this defense is trending in the right direction. Are we there yet? No, I don't think so. But I think by the time we get to the season, as long as we don't slip up, I think this defense will be where it needs to be. And we're getting very, very close to that right now. But Chris, before we move on to our game balls, I have to give you the floor here. Pop Dumas Johnson. Let me have it. Uh, it's just as simple as the fact that if it's third down, you know, I texted you about this, but if it's third down and more than three yards to go or any obvious passing situations, there's no reason he should be on the field. He should be five yards off the field. And I have so much faith and trust in our coaching staff in general, especially our defensive coaching staff. I am having a hard time understanding why he's seeing so much time on third and medium third and long situations this year. Because he did not that's, see that's it That's what's confusing year. me because we have guys. I mean, Xavier Sori, Smile, you can bring one of them in to blitz and let the other be the guy in coverage instead. But that's why I'm very confused as to why we constantly put him out there when he constantly gets burnt. Curse, we used to bring in we used to bring in an extra DB, right? We yeah. we bring in Dan Jackson or we bring in David Daniel when Dan was out last year. We're not doing that right now, not consistently. Maybe it's like third and really long we're bringing him out there, but if it's like third and five to third and ten, Pop is staying on the field, and that yeah. was not happening last year. And it's very questionable. I don't know why. Yeah, it's it's very confusing me. I mean, he's a good blitzer. So from that standpoint, maybe that's what our coaching staff's looking at. But he is an absolute liability in coverage. He's just not. He's just. He's not that guy. He does not cover well at all. He doesn't even drop to zones well. There was a play. Was it the second half? I want to say he was. He was showing simulated pressure. And he drops out into zone coverage, but he it, he's clueless in zone coverage. He doesn't drop to the right spot. And the the defender is what? Or their? I think it was McGowan. I want to say so. Their receiver is wide open. And they pick up a first down. It's the one where Pop kind of chases him down from behind. He's like trying to punch the ball out. You remember that? Yeah, one? that's when McGowan ran pretty much the. Uh, and look, so a, I, I know that situation. And he might have very well dropped to the zone he was told to drop to. But if you were a football player, you well, understand. Happened, okay, this guy's going over here. I am the furthest man out in this area. Okay, I'm the yeah, furthest zone then, defender out towards the field. I have to get out there and make that play. And he and, stepped in also. He on the re, on the option route. He went in and the guy just shot out. If you get a slot receiver matched on Pop Dumas Johnson and they're running whip routes, option routes, it's game over. He cannot defend that. Exactly, and that's all. They're, that's what's in, in Florida. A, a lot of these teams too that have good running backs are going to start using wheel routes on him. Did you notice how many times that Jay McGowan in the backfield? Yep. Yep. At least a couple of times. I should say how many? At least a couple of times, and they were and they had they got big gains out of those situations. So I don't I don't understand it. I know he's a leader. I get I get that, and I, he's a good run defender. He's a good blitzer, not an elite blitzer, a good blitzer. But he's such a liability in coverage, whether it's man coverage, whether it's zone coverage. I just have a, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that one. I really am. And I again I I, I I don't have any room to say anything to Kirby Smart or Glenn Schumann. Will Muschamp, these guys know infinitely more about football than I do. My amateur mind is just having a really hard time understanding why that's happening. Because it was not happening last year. He, I don't think he's improved that much in terms of coverage. And he's out there. I mean, he's, a lot of times he's not coming off the field. I mean, he was not a three-down linebacker last year. Now we're kind of using him in that way. And so I don't I don't know. I would love a reporter to ask him that question, ask Kirby that question, just to hear what he says to it. I'm sure he would make him feel dumb because, I mean, I, obviously none of us know what he knows about football. But I would like to hear the thought process behind that because I just don't quite get it, to be honest with you. 
All right, Curtis, let's move into the last segment here. We got some game balls to hand out. So as is always the case, I'm going to give you the honors off the tee box. Who gets your first game ball? First game ball is going to go with Asian Edwards. Yeah, man. I, I figured that would have to be where it would go. I mean, last so the last two weeks, the two obvious ones were Brock Bowers and Carson Beck. Yeah. Brock, I mean, not going to get a game ball this game because didn't finish the game. Carson, I mean, you could give him a game ball. I, again, I don't think it was a vintage Carson Beck performance. So I think Asian Edwards is certainly the one off the top there. Let me ask you, I was just talking a few minutes ago about how good Dejan Edwards is becoming. None of us really expected that to happen. What is it that makes him so effective? He just, his feet never stop moving. I think that's what is so good about him is he never gives you a clear target to hit. I, yeah, that he never takes a shot. You notice that he never takes a shot ever. No, he, he, he does a good job of getting down, which is huge. He, he just is so, his his lateral quickness is what helps him so much. I mean, you saw it with Kendall Milton. Kendall, one of his better runs he had was where he showed lateral quickness. Kendall, like my eyes were bulging out of my head when Kendall made that run. I was like, exactly. let's go, and brother. See, Come on, man. Where's that and been? And see, does that on every run, and that's just yeah. what makes for makes him so good. Yeah, I've said on a couple of occasions. What, the one thing that he does that no one else in our backfield can do, we have no other running back on the team right now that, well, I guess maybe Branson if he was healthy, that no one right now that can remotely play can do this. The way he can make people miss in a hole. It's just – it's natural, man. Like we don't have anyone with that kind of wiggle. We don't have anyone with that, like you mentioned, that type of short area quickness, that kind of phone booth type talent. And that's so critical, guys, because if we're going to run to stack boxes, which, again, we're not doing as much of this year, but there are sometimes going to be free runners. And you have got to have a back who can make that guy miss. Because if they're going to bring guys in the box like that and you make that guy miss, what happens? Oh, you go for 60-plus like he did in that one run, right? You make, you make a guy miss. And he has the ability to do that. Like, honestly, Unlike maybe any running back I've seen at Georgia in a long time. I mean, we've had we've had better backs, like guys like DeAndre Swift. I mean, he could DeAndre was a more of a one-cut type guy. He don't know if he had that kind of a wiggle in the hole. He can make some guys miss in the hole, but not like Dejan. He's just got incredible twitch there in in a short area, man. And he's he's not a burner. He got caught, you know. I uh, wish he was gonna take that one to the house, the one he broke. But I mean, that's I that's way down my list in terms of skills I want to see in a running back. I would certainly rather, rather guy have a better vision, which he does, has great vision. Uh, he's got great short area quickness. You mentioned he keeps his leg running. He can he runs through tackles, of course. He's not one of these guys that when he gets hit, he just goes down. Because I truly believe, I've said this many times, there are running backs out there. They feel like, oh, when a guy hits me, I'm just going to go down. And they stop moving their legs. This guy fights for every single yard. He has to be able to get skinny between the holes, which is what makes him a really effective goal line runner. So, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why Dejan Edwards is a good back. I mean, that's the thing with Dejan, guys. He's... Not like a good story. Dejan is a really good running back. He's a really good college football running back. This is beyond, oh, it's just a nice story. It's a good kid. You know, was lightly recruited, only got the scholarship because the old Zach Evans deal. Like, no, no. Maybe once upon a time he was a good story. This guy is a legitimately good football player, and we should be very, very thankful that this guy is on our team. He is, he's a stud, man. He's playing light. Like, Curtis, think about this. Where would we be right now? Let me ask you this before we'll move on to the next guy. Where would we be right now without Dejan Edwards? Uh, we'd be in a lot of trouble. We'd be in freaking crazy trouble, man. Dejan has been a lifesaver for us this year, man. And the thing is, guys, he's still banged up. This guy's on 100%. And he's out there getting 20, 20 carries a game, man. And I just got to love it. Love this guy. Don't make guys like that very often. All right, Dejan Edwards, definitely a great call there. I'm going to go. We talked about him earlier. His best game is the Georgia Bulldog. I'm going to go wide receiver Dominic Lovett. Get nine catches, 72 yards. His first touchdown as a Georgia Bulldog. This guy is going to explode at one, at some point. It was close to happening 
yesterday against Vanderbilt, but it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I think what we saw against Vandy was a sign of things to come. Just get ready for that, especially if Brock is not playing, which I hope is not going to be the case. But if it is the case, just get ready. This guy is going to break out in a big way in one of these coming games. This guy is explosive. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands in space. He's got he's got great long speed. This guy has a fantastic skill set. He led Missouri in receiving last year, another SEC team. He can be that guy. I think we're starting to see signs of that becoming the case. All right, where are you going next? Um, next, I am going with uh, Monroe Freeling. Yeah, like how what did you make of his performance coming off the bench cold? Um, Actually really good. I thought he was a lot better in um, pass blocking than what we see from Xavier Trust. And it was very interesting that, you know, he was on the right side of the field. Both times we broke some big runs, you know, he was on that side of the line. Yeah, that was Dejan and Cash's long run, which I thought Cash might break it too, man. I was hoping he'd break it. Close. Not quite close enough. Yeah, I thought Monroe, all things considered, played really well. He, I, I've heard behind the scenes this guy's been coming on. And, you know, it's hard for him to break in the lineup because Trust has been around for a long time. And, you know, we like Green out there. But he has been doing a good job in practice behind the scenes. I've been hearing some really positive things from people around town here. And so I was excited to see him get in the game there. And, like, I don't I – don't, he was not perfect. There were some plays where he's putting his head down and getting overextended and off balance, and that happens for young guys. But I saw some really good things, too. You're right. I thought the run game, I thought he got some movement. I thought that he did a really good job in pass protection. Now it's very built. There's not a dynamic you know, pass rusher on the team. But I thought he did a really good job coming in cold like that in an SEC game. And uh, really, pr- that was his first real actual time in any kind of meaningful situation, Curtis, and come in like that. And again, an SEC game, I thought he comported himself very well. And uh, we'll see. Like, I, I don't think there was that much of a drop-off, right? No, I didn't see a huge drop-off. Oh, there was a play early in the in – the, maybe the first quarter where Trust just completely whiffed. Just didn't even get a hand on the defender. Man. Oh, yeah, that, that, was the one, that was the one where it was a strip sack. Yeah, it was. I know he just stripped. He just – he like it was almost like he was like, I'm looking down the ground. I'm just going to fall straight forward. I'm not even trying to block somebody. And it's like, okay, okay. All right, man. Look, I know he's out of position. That's not really what fits his skill set the best. But, man, that was bad. That's a bad look for a veteran lineman. You just cannot be doing that. We need a Mary Simmons back, like, now. Now. We need that guy back for Florida. That would be very helpful for this football team. But I thought, all things considered, that Monroe Freeling did a good job in that in a tough spot for him. So, yeah, tip of the cap to Monroe. I'm going to go – you know what? I know he only played – I don't even know. He didn't play a full half of football. Maybe a quarter and a half. But – I thought when he was in the game, and you can go back two weeks now, Curtis, I thought Kendall Milton was playing at a really high level when he was out there, man. Oh, I think that's really fair. I would, I actually, like, while he was playing, I was like, okay, I'm, he's getting, he's getting a game ball from me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, only five carries, so it's like, you're giving the guy a game ball for five carries and 53 yards? It's about what I saw from the guy, man. When Kendall was out there, he was making plays. That that play you mentioned earlier, Chris, where he made two guys miss in space. I know Kendall's always been he's been way better in a short area. He's got really good feet. He does not have good speed. We we've established this. This guy does not have good speed at all. But he's really really quick. He's got really good feet. And getting him in space like that though, you know, the past couple of years when he's been like dealing with hamstring stuff, he hasn't been making those plays. He has not been making guys miss like that. But when he's been out there this year, he hasn't been healthy often. But when he has been healthy, he's been out there. Kendall has been an impact player. He has been an impact player. It wasn't just that play. Another play in the game, Curtis, uh, maybe right after that play, where he is just 
putting his head down and running through guys. And Kendall hadn't always done that because he hasn't always been healthy. So I think two weeks in a row when he's been out there, Kendall has played at a really high level. And if we can just get him to just get him to be healthy, man, we can get 10 carries a game. If you can pair Kendall with Edwards, that one-two punch, okay. It's not it's not Branson Robinson, but that's a that's a one-two punch that we can win some games with in the backfield, man. I like that one-two punch if we can get him back healthy. And it was according to Kirby, the MCL kind of was just aggravating him. So hopefully it's just one of those things. We didn't need him the rest of the game. So you just let him rest, go to the bye week, and he'll be okay. But man, Kendall has played well. And I, I I really liked what I saw from him. He does really good in pass pro too, by the way. He's a really good pass protector. I want to give him some credit there because no one really pays attention to that. He's a really, really strong pass protector. So is Dajian, by the way, just a little bit smaller. But I thought both those backs played really well. And obviously, 291 yards rushing. All right, who are you going with next? Well, next, I actually wanted to go with Christian Miller. Um, oh, you stole him! I, I you know, I, saw, I thought I saw some good stuff from him. Yeah, no, dude. I think Christian, I think by the end of this year, he might become the best D lineman we have. I think he's on his way. I think he's on his way. He's a different kind of body. He he and Warren Brinson, I've said all along, are the two guys that can be disruptive for us on the defensive line. Christian, when he's out there, he doesn't start, but when he's out there, he always flashes. I always notice him. Always. Because he's always disrupting the backfield. He's making plays. He's a really good – it's not just, you know, one gap into making tackles for loss so he can do that. It's not just sacking quarterbacks or pressuring quarterbacks, although he's doing that. The way that he does – because he's playing a lot of zero tech. Like he comes in for Nas Stackhouse playing the zero tech, which is not really what he's built for. He's more of a three-tech guy, but we don't really have any more bodies that can play the zero tech with Bear taking his ball and going out west to play for that defensive powerhouse at USC. But Christian has a really good job of getting his hands on the opposing blockers and plays with extraordinary leverage and can hold the point of attack very well for a guy that's about 300 pounds. He's not a big zero tech nose dog. But he does a really good job of doing what that zero tech is asked to do in our defense. Plus, on top of that, he can be really disruptive. So he was actually next on my list. I can't believe you stole him from me, but great call there, man. He's always flashing, always making plays when he gets opportunities. And I think he needs to get more and more opportunities. All right, I'm going to go. All right, I do want to give some defensive guys some some uh, some love here because we did hold him to 219 yards. So I'm going to go with. Oh, wow. How, we missed the easiest. Who do we miss? Tyke. Okay, okay, no, okay. Hear me out on Tyke. I thought Tyke played extraordinarily well, except for the one blown coverage for a touchdown. Well, I think he had more than one blown coverage. Well, he had at least the one big one that cost us a touchdown. The there was more one, than one. Yes, like there, 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 was one. there was a couple. Of, it was a couple of zone coverages. Was like, what's what's going on here? Yeah, but I think just zone in general, we were off. Yeah, we we we. Uh, that's a very good call. We absolutely were. But that one glaring one that cost us a touchdown. Can we give him a game ball if he basically single handedly gave him a touchdown? It's hard to. But he did play so well outside of that. I mean, yeah, a couple of, of, of missed zone drops, but he played really well on the perimeter in the run game, which he's done really well. That's what that's that's what this guy does well. That that's his game. But he's done really he did really well with that. The pick before the half, Curtis, that was a big time play. Getting in the the hip pocket of the receiver like that, turning around, getting your head around real quick, snapping around and making the play like that. Remember that you used to have guys like, you know, and I, he was a really, you know, solid player for us, and I, he played hard for us. Remember Mark Webb? Yeah. Remember how many times he got beat on very similar routes? Oh, all the time. All the time. All the time. And look, man, covering – like, Tyke's – that's – he's competent in coverage. That's not his strength, though. So for him to be able to make that play on top of how he was playing on the edges in, in, the, in the perimeter run game, I thought he had a really strong game outside of a couple coverage snafus, which – 
I don't know. Can we give him like a honorable mention game ball? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with some other DBs here. I'm gonna give a combined game ball to our two starting corners. I'm gonna go Kamari Laster and Dalen Everett. Dalen had a couple of nice pass breakups, man. And Kamari just continues to play at a high level. I don't know if we've given Kamari a game ball all year because no one really, like he doesn't really get attacked much in coverage. But you mentioned him earlier, Coach. You said Vanderbilt has some big-time playmakers offensively. They do. Will Shepard, again, guys, I told you in the pre- uh, coming in this week on the preview show, this guy is was top five in the entire league in receiving yards, 550 receiving yards, and like eight touchdowns coming into the game. We held this guy to one catch for 25 yards. One catch for 25 yards. And it was it was not just one of the two guys. It was Kamari and Dalen were both matched up on him on different downs, different situations. And I thought they both did a fantastic job. It wasn't just them, but more often than not, they're the ones matched up on in man coverage. I thought they did a great job of holding one of the better receivers in the SEC to one catch for 25 yards. So tip of the cat there. Dalen's getting better, man. He took his lumps the first couple of games of the year. I've seen some really positive things from the past couple of weeks. I think it kind of goes back to Carson. The second half of the Auburn game, I thought he started to show me a little something. And it's kind of carried over in these last two games. So I'm very, very encouraged that we did not see much of Julio Humphreys. Like Dalen's starting to lock down that job. When Humphrey was starting to get some more snaps, Dalen looks like he's – Kind of taking control of that job right now. So great play from both those guys. You got anyone else, Kurt? I think I got one more. I don't. I want to hear who else you got. All right. This is kind of like Kendall Milton. The final numbers don't screen game ball. But Lad McConkie, Curtis. Lad McConkie, four catches, 58 yards, most of the damage in the first half. Yes, his back tightened up on him. Maybe this is an honorable mention game ball. Maybe this is not a full-on game ball. I know it wasn't like a, a massive impact. But maybe it's just me being overexcited that we're starting to see Lad McConkie actually make some plays for us because we know how good this guy can be. He's, I mean, outside of a few third downs against Auburn has been a non-factor this year because he hasn't played. He didn't really play much against Kentucky. I guess we didn't really need him in that game. But to see him come back and start to do some Lad McConkie things, things that we've seen him do for the past couple of years, catch the balls across the middle and take it for, you know, and, and make plays after the catch, those kind of things. It's very encouraging to me. So maybe not a full-on game ball, but I just want to give Lad a shout-out here because, guys, the dude's still hurting, and I want to give him a shout-out here too on this. Last year, there's a lot made in you know, the middle of the season. We had some had some drops and whatnot, but I don't think people realize Lad McConkey was banged up all of last year. And we, we tried to mention it you know, without like putting it all out there and making excuses for him, but he practiced very little last year, just a little bit here and there. And he was going out there every week, essentially injured. And was going out there and still making plays for us and being the impact player that Lad McConkey was. Right now, guys, yes, he's playing in games. He is essentially not practicing at all. I have that on very good authority behind the scenes. He is not practicing. He's out there like watching and in meetings. He's going through stuff. He's doing what he can do, which is not very much. But he's going out there and he is playing football. Guys, I don't know how many of you have dealt with back injuries. I have. Back injuries are the worst. I do not wish that on my worst enemies. I mean, guys, it sucks. It's so it's so frustrating because you think you're good and then you're not good. You go out there and play, make some catches, and it tightens up on you. Now you can't move. That's what Lad McConkey is dealing with right now. And really, only I don't know if he'll he won't be 100% this year, guys. He's just not going. The only remedy for that really is like extended time off. We're not talking like two weeks off. We're talking like two months off. And we don't have the luxury of doing that. So Lad is trying to manage just the best that he can. And I know four catches, 58 yards, does not scream game ball to anyone. I know what this guy is working through though, and it isn't incredibly impressive to me that he's even out there playing football. Again, trust me, I don't know exactly the extent of his back injuries, but I know it's been, it was bad enough to keep him out of pra- practice and out of games for a long time. So I'm going out there and doing it on game day for, for his team. 
and for the Bulldog Nation, I just have a lot of respect for it, man. So that's why maybe I'm a little biased here. I want to give Ladd a game ball, but uh, at least honorable mention there. All right, Kurt, anything else? Anything we missed? No, I think that's it. All right, guys, that officially does it for our Vanderbilt Reaction Show. But fear not, guys. We are going to have a regular week full of content for you guys. I don't care if it's a bye week. That doesn't matter on the Glory UJ podcast. We are always going to have you guys covered. That's what we're here to do, and we are not going to let you down. So we're going to have a ton of bye week content for you guys. We'll have our regular mailbag episode. So make sure to send those questions in. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJ. You can find us on Instagram, Glory UJ Podcast. You can email us the questions to GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com whatever works best for you we'll include as many of them as we possibly can on the show and in lieu of a game preview episode this week since we do not have a game we are going to do our mid-season report card and then charlie and i will be back to wrap it up in the week with our picks of the week so a ton of great content for you guys keep on coming back tell all your friends tell your neighbors tell your loved ones tell your co-workers Tell all the Georgia fans in your life that there's no better place to get your Georgia football content than right here at the Glory UJ Podcast. So thank you guys for being here. We love each and every one of you. We appreciate you. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.